I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. Greed, deception, abuse of power, that's no plan. They, they just can't keep knowledge, you know? They're, they're to total masters of deception. They manipulate everything. You know, these, these pricks at the helm have lied to us. It's... I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false, and I need to go back to work for the American people. They're, they're setting it up for the Great Deception. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it all revolves around the Great Deception. Yeah, right? it, bingo. And L.A. and I talked about that. I said, L.A., is this the Great Deception? And he didn't hesitate. He said, absolutely. I never used to question before, and now I question everything. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. The world needs a wake-up call. Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. Thanks for joining me. Oh, what a crazy time we live in right now. And we'll get to that in a minute. But man, it's just going to get wilder and wilder. So you got to just stay grounded and uh, know who you are and you'll be fine. But I got to do the uh, sales pitch first, guys. Um patreon.com slash the great deception podcast that's where you can get all of my episodes eventually uh will be over there as well as uh, additional materials all the videos from monday night master debaters it's the only place you're going to get those um i have about 70 books right now that uh older books you know we're talking 1800s and before um we have a, I'm starting a documentary series on there where we start adding some good documentaries from other folks on there uh, for people to watch. And uh, there's going to be some good stuff on there, guys. So go check that out, patreon.com slash Great Deception Podcast. And every month we have our patron call, which is uh, probably by the time you're listening to this, today or, tom or uh, tomorrow, which is uh, Saturday, or uh, Saturday, I can't even get my day straight. It's going to be Sunday, the 18th, um, at about 5.30 Eastern time, and uh, we'll get on there. Hope you guys can get on there as well. But also, guys, way to help the show non-monetarily, like, share, leave a review. Very simple. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, the great deception podcast, but we had a couple of reviews, uh, earlier this month, which is great. And guys, I really appreciate it. Now I know you hear it from everybody, but it really does help. 
the more reviews you have, the higher chance you have to get in the algorithm and get higher up and people actually listen to the show. So that's one way that, I, you know, I, and I thank you guys. That's why I read these reviews. I take the time as long as they're readable. There's been a few that I, I just can't read. Um, <laughs> and uh, they're pretty funny, but I can't read them. Um, but so here we go. I uh, love this pod so much. It's interesting, eye-opening, comedic when you least expect it, and really provokes thought and perspective that goes against the grain, all while being extremely easy to consume. The time flies, and I'm always going back to older episodes because all the topics discussed were infinitely relevant. Everyone who can please join the Patreon, the extra content is worth it and more. So thank you, Britt. I appreciate that. And uh, one more, always looking forward to the new episodes of Monday Master Debaters. Enjoy the format. Two thumbs up from Wolf Talk DBZ. I have, or Wolf Talks DBZ. I apologize. And thank you guys. I, I really appreciate those. Um, one, that people listen to the show and care enough to uh, leave a review. That means a lot and help out the show in a little way like that. It goes a long way and is appreciated so let's talk about the madness real quick before i get to what i want to talk about tonight which is crazy in itself in in you know relevant times is is i'm getting away from the old world right now for a short period but there's a couple things that i'm reaching out to people on that old world related that might get me back into it reason being i'm not really that into it my buddy matthew is is going through a battle right now and uh you know that was one. He's one of my big influences in the in the old world, and uh, especially Chicago stuff. And I really wanted to get back into it with him, and we had a couple things planned, and life happens. So when he comes back, we'll be coming back to the old world stuff. But right now, guys, there's just so much madness in today's world, and madness in the sense that you can't get emotionally wrapped up in it right? You can't let it stir you and fire you up, get you angry, take you off the path that you're on or anything like that. But you have to observe it. You have to notice what's going on and see the steps. And that's part of the reason why we do this podcast, because these things that I point out, I think are important because this is the direction that they're taking us. These are ways that they do it. It's not like it's going to come in in, a, in one fell swoop. No, they're going to attack you from different angles. And, and one of the angles is the political show that they put on. And that, I mean, if you guys want some comedic value, just take what goes on in DC seriously. Like these people really have your best interest at mind. Now, on the other hand, if you watch it, like you would consume Seinfeld or any other comedy for that matter, it's quite entertaining because the shit that goes on there is so insane, so ridiculous that, I mean, it is, it's a, it's a great show. You keep, it's tough to write this good of material because you look at what's going on right now, right? And actually, you know what? Let me... Uh, let me just share, let me just find it first. Um, cause I just, I just saw this on, 
basically a oh, Jesus, shut up, Joy. I just saw this on uh, the gram, and I figure we would we would share that. So let's share her right here. Okay. So what we're hearing is is all this this chaos about um, Trump being so unhinged, and if he gets in again, he's going to eliminate all his political enemies, right? He's going to go after his opposition. He's not going to give up office. You hear all this madness. You know, he's going to let Putin invade Europe. He's just going to, he's going to do all this crazy stuff. None of which he did in his first term. Okay. And, and contrary to that, he was on the defensive his entire first term because of false accusation after false accusation. So let's listen to what they're, they're spewing on one side right now. On the other hand, you basically have have a 77-year-old criminal who only cares about who only cares about getting out of jail. Okay, yeah. you know, I saw this video of all these young MAGA guys celebrating Trump and Bubba. Well, you know what? You guys will be draft age. Yeah. You want to start up with Russian, the Russians going into Ukraine and then to Crimea and then to Poland. What's next? France, Germany, Italy. You think Americans? Okay. So I have to stop it there because that's just asinine. You think that Putin wants to go into Ukraine and 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 then keep going and go into France and Italy? I, I mean, this is just, this is fear porn and ignorance at its finest. Because anyone that listened to Putin's interview said, he, he's not he's not invading Europe. He's going to push back against NATO wherever NATO goes. So watch, watch what NATO does. And wherever NATO pokes the bear, you may see Russia push back. But this idea here that Russia is just going to sweep through Ukraine and just keep invading the rest of Europe is asinine. It's not, it's not even plausible or on the horizon on the Russian side. It's just fear porn. And again, it's, it's Russia man bad, right? We need a boogeyman, so Putin's going to be it. So listen, let's let let me uh, let me pull that back a little bit. I want to hear her say that again, okay? Because he's going to what? Putin's going to going into Ukraine and then to Crimea and then to Poland. What's next? France, Germany, Italy? You think Americans are not going to be involved in that kind of a war? That's what you're looking at with this guy. You know, I mean, I hate to bring up Hitler, but before. Before Hitler became powerful, yeah. he stuck his little toe in, mm -hmm. and the Brits and the Americans, everybody appeased him and yeah. said, he's not going to get worse. And then they gave over this. Okay, we got to pause it there. First of all, the Hitler reference is weak at best. Okay. She has no clue what she's talking about with Hitler. She has no reference history. It dipped his toe into what? Dipped his toe into what? And we appeased him. What are you talking about? This is just moronic, okay? And again, they're trying to associate Trump with Hitler, and okay, it's just it's it's weak, ignorant argument. Who dating land to yeah. him? And then the next thing you know, he's invading Poland, and then he's occupying France, and then he gets Mussolini on his side. This is what Putin is going to do. It's very very urgent that we not elect this man it's not just about us it's not about just the economy it's about the world's geopolitical issue okay so just to to correct miss behar there i mean 
if I remember correctly, before Trump, there was no problem in Ukraine, right? Yeah, no, there was no problem in Ukraine. So uh, I, this is created by this administration. It, we're in a much more dangerous world now than we were before. And okay, so you have them doing that. Then what's even crazier is you have that wild DA, what's going on with the DA in the Trump case in Georgia. Now, anybody that's not aware with that, the DA and one of the, I think, special prosecutors were having an affair um, and she was paying him a lot of cash. A lot of shady shit was going on between the two of them. And so what they're doing is is very, uh, I don't know how illegal it is. I'm sure there is a lot of embezzlement and money laundering going on here because she deals in cash. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's, you can't make this shit up. And so the guy that he would pay all this stuff on his credit card trips, you know, to she doesn't know where what what continent uh, Belize is in or the Bahamas um, or, or I believe she went to Aruba also was another place they went um, and she couldn't tell what continent those are in, but she's been there um, and she paid for it in cash. So. But so the whole thing is, 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 and, and she admitted that she kept campaign, campaign funds, um, cash, uh, for herself, <laughs> which, you know, as a DA, that's just not a good look. And anyway, she was getting exposed on the stand. And so what you have is her getting exposed. And, and that was one case where they were trying to nail Trump. Another one that's fell apart. Then you have what's going on in New York, which is pretty damn crazy, if you ask me. Because, again, it, it, it's theater, right? But uh, what you have going is you have a judge who just ruled against Trump uh, in, in a, a fraud case that... He owes something to the the effect of, and, and don't quote me on the the money and all that. It's go look into it. Uh, something to the effect of three hundred and fifty million dollars he needs to pay, and because this is the same judge who claimed that Mar-a-Lago was worth eighteen million, when there's some people that say it could be up to fifty times as much as that. Um, and this is the guy that is just a weaselly cocksucker of a judge another soros appointed judge uh soros backed so when we look at it uh you know what what's going on and and why was the announcement today do you think again you have to understand the games and why am i just bringing this up i i'm not involved in this but i'm seeing the bigger picture okay what happened Th they're getting exposed in georgia well, what do we need? We need to distract them. How do we distract them? Well, we convict him somewhere else, right? And it keeps in mind that he's a criminal, okay? And what is this? When you see these cases all against one man, it's a political witch hunt, guys. It's going against your political opponent. They're using every tool, and they have since 2016. They they. they Use the FBI, they used the CIA against Trump during his term, Russia collusion. That was all nonsense. It was all funded by the Clinton Foundation. They found they funded the Steele dossier, 
which was all bullshit, which we heard, we still hear people talking about that Russia collusion. No. And who had a better deal with Russia beforehand? Who sold Russia uranium? I believe that was the Clintons. So I think they have a little bit more dealings with Russia than Trump. Trump doesn't have any businesses even in Russia. <laughs> they won't let him do business there. So the whole Russian inclusion idea, that fell apart, right? They used the FBI. They used the CIA against him. I mean, there was an article this week that um, 26 uh, people in the Trump camp were illegally spied on by the CIA. Um, that was in the New York Post this week. So, so you're seeing this. They're using every tool they can to go after this one man. And and so let's listen. After his conviction, this is what Trump said about the fraudulent, he claimed, New York ruling. Yeah. Banana republics is where you see this this stuff, guys banana republics and yet what is what did how do we start that off this is why i need you to see the deflection and the gaslighting that they pull on us over and over again okay and and that's what this is right they are using every tool in their power almost in a fascist manner to try to hold down their political opponent. And they're so afraid that if if they lose power, that th it's going to be done to them because they know what they're doing is wrong. They know eventually that pendulum's going to swing back and they're scared to shit that they're going to have to pay for their consequences. But for now, they're just riding the wave because everybody is on their side when it comes to the, the they group. You know, they have all the funding, they have all the media, you know, DEI, like we talked about the acronyms in the last, all the Black Rocks, right? They have all the resources in this, but it's the pendulum still swings back and forth and they're gonna, it's gonna swing back on them. And that's what they're so scared of. That's why you saw Hillary, Hillary, can't even say her name right, Satan, Hillary Clinton out there so scared before the Putin interview even came out. Uh, you know, ripping Tucker up, down and sideways, calling him a Russian asset and this, that, and the other when she got millions of dollars from Russia uh, through her foundation. But anyway, she was going at Putin, yelling, uh, talking about how the inner, you know, all this stuff up, down and sideways, how it's just going to, you know, rally up the MAGA crowd and all this nonsense. And that's what they have to do. They have to get out there and get in front of it because they know eventually it's going to fall apart. The the veil, the curtain is always pulled back and you always find out what's going on. Sorry, I had to step away for a second. But that's so that's what happens. You're 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 gonna see this start to fall apart, but it's gonna get crazier because the the only way they can hold on to this 
is by grasping tighter control. Oh, before I share this, I want to show you one more picture from this week that, you know, again, we and we talked about this on Master Debaters, and I talked about this when I was on uh, the Legit Bat Podcast. Anybody that hasn't listened to that, um, go over to the Legit Bat Podcast with Joe, and it was uh, just me, Joe, and Ben, and uh, it was a great talk, and we talked about this, and <laughs> the World Economic Forum just put out their list of top 10 global risks for 2024. Okay. In the next two years, the number one risk they have on their list is misinformation and disinformation. Number two, extreme weather. Number three, uh, societal polarization. Number four, cyber insecurity. Interstate armed conflict. So war is, they're, they're less scared about war than they are about mis. Why misinformation? Why is that such a threat? It's only a threat if your narrative can't stand up to the truth. Then you have to claim things are misinformation and disinformation all the time. And and when your information tends to be the misinformation and disinformation as the narrative and your narrative can be uh, poked holes in, you're screwed. Okay, so what are we going to see? And, and, and this is why I say this to you. What are they going to push on us the next couple of years? Okay, it's right here. This is what they tell you. What are their biggest threats? So I would say these top five things right here. Extreme. Uh, so we're looking at misinformation, disinformation. They're going to crack down hard, especially you're going to notice it on social media during this election cycle. You're going to see it. Okay. They're going to start censoring anything with political tones that they don't like, anything maybe one leaning to one side, any stories that might come out are going to get covered up, okay? It's going to be unfair. They're going to smother information for a while and try to. Weather, climate change, carbon bullshit. You, you saw uh, Prince Charles or King Charles, whatever he is, talking to his buddies at the World Economic Forum a video conference talking about this they're, they're going to push hard on this okay meanwhile all these sports teams all these big wigs fly on these private jets and emit more carbon than we would in our lifetime in a year okay it's nonsense societal polarization they're going to keep pushing the racism transgender you know this that the other it's it's inevitable and cybersecurity they're going to do something. They're going to try and tighten the noose on the web. And we've seen that through different things. You know, the Restrict Act, uh, things like that. We've seen them start to try that. Biden's Digital, you know, Equity Act. It's another one where they're going to try and do it. Um, interstate armed conflict, they got to have wars. It's for their military industrial complex. You know, if it's not Ukraine, not Israel, it's, you know, we got Taiwan in the pipeline. There's always somebody. Iran's the big boogeyman right now, right? So you have to have these things in order to keep this thing going. So keep an eye on those. Lack of economic opportunity. That's going to be a big one. There's not going to be enough jobs. And you look at what's going on with the migrant crisis right now in America, and it's only going to get crazier. Inflation. Inflation's... <laughs> 
<laughs> is and that's one of the things we're going to talk about tonight is inflation and the economy uh the economic downturn boom that's that's it involuntary migration right <laughs> and that's what's going on right now this isn't natural these people are being either sold a false promise that there is a uh you know an oz up ahead that they can go to or they're being orchestrated you know they're being coordinated they're being paid to come up here um, and then last is pollution. I think I, I would be a little more concerned about pollution than I would misinformation and disinformation uh, from a human standpoint. And you'll notice in 10 years that pollution is still at the bottom. Okay. If they're so concerned about the environment, now look, critical change to the earth systems, number two in 10 years. All right. That, that's what's comical. They're more worried about the critical change to the earth systems than they are pollution. Pollution we can control. That's something we can manage. We cannot manage the temperature of the earth. They want to play God and act like they can, and they can affect it, but they can't control it totally. It's God's creation. It's nature. It's natural. It can be manipulated, but not harnessed, and harnessed, but not <laughs> controlled. I mean, <laughs> pollution, man. I, I got to get out of here. Okay, let's get off of this. Okay. Now, let's get to what I want to talk about tonight, which is something, guys, to be honest, I know very little about, all right? And that's why I it interests me, and if there's somebody else that knows more and you want to come talk on Monday Night Masturbators, I'd love to come talk about the real estate market, anything like that, related to what I feel is an impending crash, or crisis, right? Similar to what happened in 2008. Um, but this is going to happen not only on the, uh, you know, housing side, the commercial real estate's feeling it too. And what kind of set me off to this was the other day I noticed, I, I started seeing, I, and I've been seeing it lately, this, you know, there's a big housing crisis potentially hasn't collapsed similar to 2008 going on in China right now called uh, Evergrande. And uh, well, when I was looking at, I've seen that and that's kind of been in the background and you look at what's going on here and you look at this BlackRock nonsense and all these, you know, uh, Wall Street firms buying up properties. And then what I start seeing is, then I start seeing property crisis bank crisis real estate crisis keep coming up in the in the news over and over again and i'm like wow when you start seeing this over and over it's it's a sign of something to come it's it's like a, the red flag is being waved in front of my face right and again i know nothing about the real estate market the housing market other than i can't afford to be in it okay i i was uh, when i got divorced in 2020 my goal was to uh, you know, eventually buy a house. And then uh, I started looking in probably 2022. And, you know, I, as I was looking, I think the interest rates went from about four and a half to six and a half and seven, just in the window that I was looking. And then it got to the point where I could get, you know, X amount of house and there, there's no market. 
you know, there was nothing on the market that I could even, you know, fathom buying or were anything I could buy that would be a worthwhile investment. Um, that wasn't a many, any of you guys seen the old uh, Tom Hanks movie, the money pit classic movie. That's what, that's what you're buying these days, you know, and if you have money to renovate it, great. But what we're getting into tonight, what I'm calling the corporate landlords and the impending real estate crisis. Now, where does the whole corporate landlords come from? Well, we started seeing this in 2022, maybe, I mean, even sooner, 2020 when the housing market went nuts. Um, you did, you saw a lot of uh, real estate being bought up by these equity firms. Okay. And, you know, you see BlackRock and Vanguard and, and all these groups buying up massive amounts of homes. And, you know, you're like, okay, well, are, are those coming back on the market? And no, they're not coming back on the market. So the, the, and the demand kept growing, supply wasn't out there, and we just hit this kind of bubble. And we've been at this point right now for a couple of years where, uh, and, and where the, interest rates are if the interest rates were to drop the market would open up really fast but prices would skyrocket because you're going to have a lot of competition a little bit of inventory and that's what we're dealing with now and you look at what some of these housing prices are right now and it's it's i mean for 400k which you could get for 400k just 10 years ago um compared to what you can get now it's it's a joke I mean, 400K is your is a very nice average home. Um, whereas in the past, 400K was a, a really, really nice place in a nice neighborhood with nice property. You know, that that was a that, a really nice home. And I know, I mean, I bought I bought a house in what 2015 uh with my ex and I mean, it was, I think we spent a little over three. It was, I mean, beautiful house, beautiful, you know, two acres of land, uh, beautiful cul-de-sac neighborhood, you know, uh, a colonial style house. It's just gorgeous. Now it's probably, you know, 450,000, half a million dollar home. <laughs> Can't afford that. It's amazing. So let's take a look at this. There was this great piece done by 60 Minutes in uh, back in 2022, uh, where they said would-be buy homers would be forced to rent. So uh, it's about a 10-minute piece. I'm going to play most of it. I'm going to try and fast forward through some of it, but it is all good, relevant information. So let's take a listen. Every American is feeling the bite of inflation. Groceries cost more. Gas costs more. Everything seems to cost more. This past week, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates in an effort to tame the highest inflation in 40 years. The cost of rent is really through the roof. Residential rents across the country went up an average of 15% last year, nearly twice the overall inflation rate. That's particularly painful for tenants because according to Census Bureau data, they now often have to spend as much as half their total income on rent. Guys, half, half their total income on rent. It, it should be 30% max, right? In a, in a 
you know, balanced system. That's where you should be. And this is to rent. This means you have no vested interest in the property other than every month you are paying it and that's it. You never see that money again. You're just burning it away. Okay, and I know firsthand because I've been renting, like I said, since 2020. And rent is a joke. Uh, I was in a a small two-bedroom basement apartment in an apartment complex. I mean, tiny little place. It started out the first year, I think it was... uh, 1600 then it went to 1800 then it went to two grand when i moved out they the next year they wanted over they wanted like 2100 for this shitty little apartment um in in the middle of nowhere in massachusetts i mean that's not even the city so even the rent prices are astronomical right now and and she mentioned it the inflation and that's this is when i was talking about when i started trying to the, the the rates just went up to balance out the inflation, but there was never an inflation problem, right? Remember they changed the definition of it, of recession, because they didn't want to admit that either. Okay, let's get back to the uh, 60 Minutes piece. Why are rents rising so much? Well, it turns out that big Wall Street firms are playing a role, but we found the fundamental problem was years in the making and will take years to fix. The story will continue in a moment. How much did your rent go up? They attempted to raise it $400 a month. That would have been a 40% jump for Justin Blocky and Brittany House. She's a nursing student and he's an occupational therapist in Jacksonville, Florida. When they first rented their apartment a year and a half ago, they were paying just over $1,000 a month. I eventually came to terms with them for a 30% increase, which was $300. Still 30%. I've never heard of anything like that. Do you know why your rent jumped that much? They told me the market justified it. And they were right, because I looked at 30 other apartments, and they were all way too, too much for us to afford. So when your rent goes up 30%, what's the impact? Are you having to give things up? Yeah, our fridge is, uh, does not look the same as last year before our lease. Really? It's, yeah. You're really cutting back on groceries. Yeah. It's pretty much universally true. Rents are going up all around the country, but it's even more severe in migration destinations like the Sun Belt of the country, Austin, Phoenix, Florida. A lot of people are moving there and there's just more demand for rents. Now, that's an interesting point. Now, what did she say? Our fridge is a little different. Well, if we go and look on the other side of things, look at the the grocery store. I mean, I'll tell you, honestly, I was spending, I think, probably on average about 80 to 90 bucks a week. And that's for myself and my son, you know, half the week. And now that I'm not buying anything different. 120, $125 a month or, or a week, I should say, for groceries. It's uh, on top of rent, you know, and then you look at everything, guys. So that's what I want to get at. Everything's more expensive. And so this is, and this is one that's really getting to people and it's going to cause a major problem. Put any investment into housing. 
In the economic crisis of 2008 and 9, construction of new housing came to a grinding halt. But even when the economy recovered, home construction didn't. So how big is the rental shortage in the United States? The government has estimated that we are short about 4 million homes in this country, and that number is likely growing, especially since the pandemic. 4 million. Shy. Yes. That's 4 million, guys. 4 million homes short. Where are those 4 million homes? Are they out there? Because I guarantee you they exist. I guarantee you they exist. I just guarantee you they're also not on the market. That's the hole that we're in that we need to build ourselves out of. That number, 4 million, is that mainly in the South and Southwest, or does that include New York City and San Francisco? That's the entire country. With something as essential as housing in such short supply, you'd have to figure that Wall Street would see an opportunity buying modest, single-family houses, the kind you'd see on any middle-class suburban street, and then renting them out. In places like Jacksonville, Atlanta, Charlotte, investors are buying almost 30% of the homes that are available for regular home buyers. This is a home we bought. This uh -huh. is 3518 Shiner Drive right. in Jacksonville. This home is 1,700 square feet. How many bedrooms? Three bedrooms, two baths. It was built about three years ago. Gary Berman is CEO of Tricon Residential, a Toronto-based company that has quietly become one of the largest owners of single-family homes in the United States. So today, we own about 30,000 single-family rental homes across the U.S., largely in the Sun Belt, and we've got probably about 75,000 people living in our homes. You are a multi-billion dollar company. You're publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Correct and the Toronto Stock, Exchange. Toronto Stock Exchange. I even read in one of your own documents that your revenue went up last year by 67%. Is that correct? Yeah, we're expanding. I mean, when you think about it, we have an incredible amount of demand for what we do. So, Leslie, in any given week, we might have two or 300 homes available. For renting. For renting and we get about 10,000 leasing inquiries a week. Tricon is trying to buy 800 houses a month, and there are companies even bigger. Invitation Homes owns more than 80,000 rental houses. American Homes for Rent, close to 60,000. Some of the all-stars of finance, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Blackstone, have put hundreds of millions of dollars into these companies. They all offer rental homes online and all focus on the Sun Belt. Our largest portfolio would be in Atlanta, in Charlotte, in Phoenix, in Tampa. And those are the cities that young millennials are flocking to? This is where Americans want to be. We're finding that Americans are moving from the Northeast, from the Midwest, to move to the Sun Belt because taxes are lower. It's a friendlier business environment. It's better weather. And so there's a movement taking place, and the pandemic unleashed powerful nesting trends and work-from-home trends. Nesting trends. Powerful nesting trends. When we survey our residents, why did they move uh, to be with us? Yeah. The number one reason is they want more space. Big investment companies like yours are being blamed for this 
huge increase in rents across the country. And you can set the rent any way you want, really, given the demand you're talking about. First, I mean, corporate landlords represent 2% of all single-family rental housing. So there's a lot more going on than just corporate landlords bidding up homes. It's a very competitive and difficult environment. Okay, so did you hear that? There's 2%, he claims, are owned by corporate landlords. Let's hear what some of the others are. It's true that big investors don't own nearly as many houses as mom and pop landlords, people who might have just a few properties. But big firms like Tricon do play a larger and growing role in the Sunbelt cities where they're active. Rent increases are all over the map. 35% in New York, but just 9% in Chicago, 29% in Portland, only 10% in LA, and in only one big city were rents actually down last year, Kansas City. Gary Berman says- And why? Why is rent down in Kansas City? Look at the crime statistics, okay? L look what's going on in Kansas City, and you'll, you'll know why rent went down. Nobody wants to live there. Same thing in California. Why did California only go up 10%? How many people are moving to California right now? It's a U-Haul state. More people are leaving than coming in. And it's been that way for a while. And New York is the same way. Okay, except what are they doing now? Now they're backfilling with what? Migrants, illegal immigrants, illegal aliens, illegals. Tricon strictly caps how much it will raise rent on existing tenants when they renew their leases. But let's say I come in as a new renter here. Would the rent here be 30% more than it was about a year ago? It could be because it, we, when we come in and buy a home, we have to pay a market price for the home and then we have to set a market rent, right? Here are two examples of homes Tricon recently bought in Jacksonville. This one, they're charging 40% higher rent than the previous owner asked. This one, 30% higher. These before and after pictures taken by Tricon show how they fix up many of the houses they buy. Yeah, but look at what, I mean, look at what they're putting in. They're doing the same shit that, that all these flipping companies do. They give you the basic utilities, basic materials, and, you know, counters, floors, all that shit. It's nothing special. It's lipstick on a pig. But then they're going to charge you 30 and 40% more in rent. That's asinine. They also have a fleet of trucks and technicians to service them. This is a, a standard trike on home. And you put in the kitchen. These, you put in the appliances? This, basic this home appliance. was built three years ago. Uh -huh. We put basic in about $50,000. Basic Most of our homes are a little bit older. We probably put in about twenty dollars or $25,000. This is very typical of what our product looks like when you move into it. It's in move-in ready condition. It's broom swept. And if things go wrong, if there's a leak, if things go we wrong, if we you, have a leaky the... faucet or the you know oven or microwave is not working, you will call us. You'll call, and our maintenance techs will come and, and service the home. The houses Tricon and other investors are buying in places like Jacksonville are what might be called starter homes, usually selling for about three hundred thousand dollars. 
when one of those comes on the market, investors are ready with all cash offers. I would say probably a third of the listings that I'm putting up are getting investor offers. Heather Kruayai is a Redfin real estate agent in Jacksonville. She represents both buyers and sellers. You are seeing a lot of these Wall Street investors that are coming in. Mm. You know, you put a house on the market and within an hour I'm getting offers full price, cash. And so these the sellers are seeing that and, oh, okay, cash, we can close in 15 days. It's very enticing to people when they see that offer come across. So when you sell, are you having to stage the house, paint it, put furniture in, make it look really nice? Not now. It's not necessary now in this, this way, the way the market's going now. You really don't need to do anything to your house to sell it. Typically, I, when I was looking at places, literally one of the places had shit on the basement floor. The sewer was backing up into the basement and they were showing the house with shit on the basement floor. I mean, they, they don't care. They'll show anything in any condition right now. And people are buying it up instantly. Like she said, cash offers, well over asking offers. It's, it's crazy. The investors never look at the home. Never. They don't even look at the they home. They never look at it. That, plus the fact that investors often waive inspections, puts would-be first-time home buyers at a serious disadvantage. Before they can even see a starter house, it's gone. Most people our age are not going to be able to have $350,000 in liquid cash. Justin and Brittany, the young Jacksonville couple facing steep rent increases, are starting to lose hope they'll ever be able to buy a home. Even Tricon's own presentation to investors says, quote, home ownership is increasingly out of reach. In our portfolio, the majority cannot buy a home, cannot afford to buy a home, or don't have the credit to buy the home. So for example, they may have student debt, or they may have medical debt, and therefore they can't qualify to get a mortgage. And if they want access to a single family home, which we think is incredibly important, this is the best way for them to obtain it. I think if you asked a lot of millennials, and that tends to be our primary resident, um, they would probably tell you that they don't necessarily desire to own a home or to mm -hmm. own a car. And they've grown up in the sharing economy, and for what's important to them is lifestyle, right? And so if they can move into this, what we call a turnkey or hotel-ready home, and have a low-maintenance lifestyle, that's very compelling for them. Very compelling. We were told by the head of one of these big companies that people your age want to rent, that you're not as interested in buying a house. No, I mean, I think the American dream is owning your own property and having your own dirt that you own. I, that's specifically yep. why we moved here, was to own a house. I realized my first house is probably going to be a starter home. It may not be that dream house, but it's a house, it's a home. Now, the, our dream is now unattainable. It's, it's very, it's disturbing. Most people desire that single family home with the picket fence, and if they can't buy it because they can't afford it, their only option is to rent it. Yeah, but the investor's buying it. Yeah, and they're getting that wealth that normally or in previous years would have gone to the person living there. So what's happened to the American dream? When we used to say that, it meant owning a house. What's the American dream now? Well, if we think the American dream is, is embodied in a suburban home with a yard and, and a white picket fence, 
then I think we're making the American dream much more accessible. Rent your American dream. You can rent the American dream. That is if you can afford the rent. There you go. We are now at the point where you can rent the American dream. And what did what did Klaus Schwab say to us four years ago in his book, The Great Reset? You, you will own nothing and you will like it. Do you see, guys? They, they, I mean, all those people that call us crazy conspiracy theorists for simply observing what they're telling you right to your face. I mean, you have a Bond villain character right there who is a very powerful man hanging around other very powerful men who make a lot of decisions. And he's telling you, you will own nothing. You will like it. You will eat bugs. And people are just like, oh, you're crazy for thinking that. Oh, they would never do that. Look. They're forcing the American dream is now you can rent the American dream. The American dream is no longer owning a home or owning your own property. Because these investment companies are buying up everything. And you want an example of that? Right here. Okay? Right here, 44% of all single-family home purchases were by private equity firms in 2023. That, that, that means the little guys, you and I, have no shot. Anyone that wants to get in the game? Now, why is this a problem? Like he said, oh, well, many people want to just rent. It's the new idea of sharing. No, that's that whole new communist, socialist, fascist bullshit that I want no part of. That's a that's smart city idea. You know, everybody's plugged in and everybody's hooked up to the government website. And, you know, you got your Neuralink in and your, your Vax Pass is already the whole deal. Why is that a problem? Well, the problem with it is, is like they talked about. If you, you can't buy a starter home, you cannot develop any wealth. And then if you can't, then you have no wealth to pass on to your family. It eliminates generational wealth. If a lot of people's wealth comes from their home, a lot of the value of what's passed down from generation to generation is the, the home. Now, mind you, portfolios, things like that also make it. But, but the, the home, because a lot of these homes were bought cheap and people stayed there for, for years. That would, they, there wasn't this mass movement now. Okay. So when they, they handed you the home after they passed, that was a, that was a, a nice chunk of change. Now you're just getting handed more debt. Why? Because companies like BlackRock are buying it all up. 44% of all single-family home purchases in 2023 were by private equity firms, a.k.a. BlackRock. Want to know why you can't buy a house? Because they're being bought up by BlackRock. Want to know why BlackRock is buying them up? Because it's an aspect of you will own nothing. Because they're creating a world in which ownership is impossible, in which every purchase will be on debt, meaning they get to control whether you purchase anything or not. 
You're not going to own a home. You're not going to own a house. You're not going to own a car. You're not going to own your phone. You might not even own the clothes that you wear because they're trying to destroy permanence. They're trying to destroy the family structure. They're trying to atomize and dehumanize you so you're more easy to control. See that? What did we talk about in the last episode? What did Larry Fink say? And guys, that's why I started out. I, I always I, I wanted to get you guys to see the previous episode, the what I called the acronym wars, the road to tyranny through DEI, ESG, Agenda 2030, SDG, and the CBDC. What did we what did we see there? What did Larry Fink tell us? He said they want to force behaviors. What better way to force behavior than making your home unstable? Because I don't know about you. I mean, I'm in a, a tough situation because my rent is month to month. I could have 30 days to find a new place to live. There's no stability here. I can't build any roots here. There's no foundation for me. I'm always on edge because at any moment, my landlord could say, hey, man, uh, you know, next come next first, uh, you're out of here. And, and I got to find a new place to live. And in today's market, who knows? The difference in, in price could be 20, 30%. And, you know, as is, rent is almost 50% of my income. And I'm not living a lavish life, guys. It's it's just, it's crazy. Okay, so now let's get into, let's look at what do you need to buy a home these days? Okay, what kind of salary do you need? What salary is needed to buy a home to afford a middle-class life today? Well, if we look at the average home in America, it's sitting around 400000 And at a 7% interest rate, you would need to make $100,000 with zero debt. No car payment, no student loans, no credit cards to have a shot at qualifying. If you do have a car payment, student loans, and credit card debt, which most Americans have, you're going to need more about 120 to 130,000 for a $400,000 home. So for the average American right now, statistically can only afford about a $250,000 home. And there's only a few places in America that still offer homes at that price. So what's happening at the moment is parents who have some money are helping their children. And that's the only way those children can get into a home of their own. Is that accurate? That is accurate if they're helping with the down payment. But if the child doesn't have the hundred or $120,000 salary to back it up, parents will not only have to help with down payment, but also co-sign if, if the child doesn't make over a hundred grand for most metropolitan cities. And you don't see much change in the immediate future? I don't. I would just tell any young person to um, get their ducks in a row financially, learn about what it takes to get a mortgage and be prepared. So if interest rates do come down, you're ready to pounce because you don't want to be late. If the prices start shooting up, you want to be early to uh, grab yourself a property. See, and that's what that's what scares me. Right. The, the, the market doesn't seem stable because it, the you know there is this like you say there is a great deficit right now of housing where there's a shortage so demand is much higher than supply but the idea that you know some people are buying these homes and getting in way over their head and if if interest rates drop it's just going to be a monsoon of buyers which is going to do what? Like we said, it's going to drive up prices. 
And this game is just going to keep going on where the price is just, and eventually it gets to a point where these people are buying homes that they can't afford. And there's going to be a bubble. It's going to burst because people like we talked about before. And um, I'm sure one of these videos talks about it where, you know, what the, the ratio should be of income to housing and things like that. And it's just, it's so out of whack and people are going to get underwater in these mortgages eventually. It's not going to be a pretty situation, housing market. And guess who's going to be there to scoop it up? It's going to be more corporations, more equity firms. And it's just this never-ending cycle. All right, let's listen to how rents are now unaffordable. Your rent has gone up. And if you've looked on Zillow recently for relief, you've probably been bummed out. Got a bad case of the I can never move agains. You're not imagining it. A study finds that for the first time ever, rent is unaffordable for half of all U.S. renters. The study from Harvard finds rents went way up during COVID. Half of renters paying more than 30% of their income on rent. 25% of people pay more than 50% of their income on rent. The study, even, uh, the study author rather, told NPR, even though rents have started to come down in some expensive areas, people most in need are not seeing a lot of relief. She says new apartments on average are more than $1,400 a month. Now remember, this is nationwide. She adds that millions of low-cost apartments have been wiped off the market. Average cost for an apartment in LA County is $2,700 a month, although that is down about $300 since last year. It is still twice, nearly twice the national average. Hmm. What's what's a young college graduate to do? To stay home. Uh, yeah. yeah. Live at home. <laughs> I guess yeah. so. Yeah. ADU Build in the back. Next day. I mean, yeah. but it's uh, this it's, should be no surprise cuz everything has yeah. gone up. Everything yeah. is super expensive and with that, you ask a landlord how much it costs them to get a, a, a sink fixed yeah. to get, you know, sure. the apartment yeah. re-cleaned and painted. It's, everything is through the roof. Learn how to do it yourself. Yeah. There you go. Especially if you're a homeowner. Yes. Yeah. Unreal. Deck, I just totally missed it. Especially if you're a homeowner. Well, people can't even rent. How the, how the hell are they going to own? Morons. But it's you see it right there. 50% of Americans find rent unaffordable. You know, average, the average price, $1,400 a month. And then right there in LA County, 27. I mean, that's that's insane. And guys, we're not talking about living lavishly. This is just getting by. These are just, you know, okay apartments and, and houses. Okay. So this is a little graph here that shows the existing housing units relative to population demand. And you see there's there was this uh, rise to the 90s. Then there was a deficit in the 90s, a shrinkage. 2000 to 2010, you saw the big boom and crash at the end. And ever since then, we've, we've seen a deficit of housing there's been a massive decline from 2010 till now. And now we're down about 3.2 million houses short. And that was 2022. They said, I believe it was about 4 million houses now uh, in that first report. So it says when the coronavirus hit, 
The federal government granted $87 billion to the CDC and other health agencies and paid pharmaceutical companies billions of dollars to create a vaccine. When the property bubble burst, the Bush and Obama administrations earmarked as much as $100 billion to stem the foreclosure crisis, albeit with hard results. During the financial crisis, Congress created a $700 billion backstop for failing banks. Okay, for the banks, they bailed out the bankers. They didn't make them fix their ways. They didn't make them pay for their bad investment decisions. No, they bailed them out flat out and increased our debt. More money that we have to pay in taxes to the bullshit IRS. And to jolt the country out of the COVID recession, Washington dispersed nearly $2 trillion dollars. Okay, three times as much to households and businesses, including putting a temporary moratorium on evictions and providing $46 billion to cash-strapped renters. And they wasted billions and billions and billions of dollars on nonsense and gave away money to people that shouldn't have gotten it. Just, just massive amounts of waste. And you wonder why prices are astronomical okay um here we have a all these homes are for rent now check this out this is another one of those corporate landlords every single one of them is owned by the same company and they're all for fucking rent we got the same thing going on here in las vegas and it's not just a couple communities here's three and four Here's five and six, here's seven and eight, here's nine and 10. And look, these are just renderings. They don't even have official pictures of the homes yet. Yeah, 11 and 12, a couple more, 13 and 14. Here's 15 and 16. But yeah, if you are a homeowner or a future homeowner and you're not concerned that the starter homes are being built by rental companies and you don't even have the opportunity to make an offer on them, where are we heading as a nation? Are we going to be a nation of renters? This is pretty clear evidence. Yeah. I mean, he says it right there. It's, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty obvious that pushing the idea of renters the big the big money is getting in and now it's you're gonna they're forcing people's hands and it's not gonna get any better now the next clip is from a gentleman on instagram named botensten um next i I grab a couple of his videos here he does a great job on real estate he also does some motivational stuff but i found a couple of his videos on on the housing market and he breaks down pretty well so check this out guess who is starting a beautiful fund to buy single family homes our favorite jeff bezos wow yeah he is funding a real estate startup on buying family homes to rent out it sounds like we are going to be happy owning nothing and just renting our homes. This was on your favorite news publication, Vice. Um, he always <laughs> talks about how he loves Vice. So there you go. Jeff Bezos getting in the mix. How about that? But guess who's going to save us, guys? The Senate. Our representatives, right? The superheroes, the real saviors of this world, of this country, I should say. Okay. So what what are they? Congress sees a problem. 
Okay, let's. There's obvious solution, right? They're going to create the End Hedge Fund Control of America Homes Act of 2023. They would pass that, right? This would force big investors to sell off all single-family homes they own over 10 years and eventually ban hedge funds from owning any single-family homes entirely, right? Sounds great. So a bill has been introduced in the Senate, the End Hedge Fund Control of American Homes Act of 2023, that would force big investors to sell off all the single-family homes they own over 10 years and eventually ban hedge funds from owning any single-family homes entirely. This is something that would have a dramatic effect on this whole entire issue we're talking about, hedge funds buying homes. I mean, this is a dramatic, dramatic, dramatic change. If it passes, but what do you think the chances are it passes? Because who funds the people that are voting? You don't think the hedge funds have a little money in the lobbying pool there, huh? They line their pockets a little bit with some cash. Let's listen to our man Botenstein again. <laughs> what is this, April Fool's Day? Oh my gosh, there's no way. Oh, I got some dirt on this. Stick around. It's not going to pass, but it makes us feel good. It's Christmas. We get a gift. Here's your, we're thinking about our constituents, so we're going to pretend like we're passing a bill. Why does it matter, by the way? Texas, last year. One-fourth of all single-family homes sold went to Wall Street. They're never going to enter the market ever again. Talking about Blackstone, earlier this year, $30 billion, one of their biggest funds ever raised by three states' teacher retirement funds. And who funds the teacher retirement funds? The taxpayers. So the taxpayers funded the teacher retirement funds Gave it to Blackstone, and Blackstone is doing, guess what, with it. The math isn't mathing. The math isn't mathing. Oh, boy, I can go a lot of different ways, but I can't wait to hear the collision of cars in the comment section. So there it is, right? There's no way this is passing. No way. It makes you feel good. It makes you think they give a shit, but there's no way. That is passing, okay? So what really got me scared with this? Well, it was, and let me share this video right here because it was a, a video uh, on China, okay? And the single most important market in the world is the Chinese property market. China has been incredibly quiet in 2018. We didn't see our normal China puking that we do every year at the beginning of the year as we have for the last like four years. So what's going on there? And is it still the most important market in the world? I do think it's the, lar it's the most important single asset class oh. um, globally because residential real estate represents roughly half of China's investment and investment represents roughly half its GDP, give or take. And so that means that, that Chinese residential real estate um, is probably a quarter roughly, of the Chinese economy, or almost $3 trillion in, in dollars. $3 trillion is 4% is of global GDP for one asset class that I think most would realize is simply being bought for, for speculative purposes. Um, they don't need to build 20 million apartments a year, but they do in, in urban environments. The, the amount of uh, depreciation and, and net inflow into the cities 
you know, means they've got to be building six or eight or nine million, not 20. So it really is the most important asset class. It drives commodity markets. It drives China's GDP. Um, it, it certainly is the backbone of their banking system in terms of credit. So if you wanted to look at, at one asset class, you know, maybe the U.S. Treasury market might be, might be up there as well. But, uh, but the Chinese real estate market, residential real estate market, is probably the most important market. Chinese real estate market is probably the most important market, he says. So that's an interesting take. So if that's the case, then what do we have to fear right now? Okay, February 8th, China's property crisis is starting to ripple across the world. Okay, overseas de developments from Mayfair to Toronto hit the market. Discount prices could force a reassessment of industry losses. Now, what are we what are we talking about here? Well, if we if we go back to uh yeah, we'll go back to here and we're talking about there's a big possibility of a Chinese market issue. Now, what are we what are we talking about? We're talking about this major property crisis and here I'll, I'll open up this article and we'll take a look at it. Um so what it says here, China's property debt problem is worse than what the US faced in 2008, Kyle Bass said on CNBC. China's real estate sector was uh, too reliant on debt, and now many public developers are in default. Sounds like the U.S. Two Chinese real estate companies hold a combined debt of $500 billion, right? And that's what we'd start seeing here. China's over-reliance on real estate has sent its economy tumbling toward what could be uh, a version of the U.S. 2008 financial crisis. This is just like the U.S. financial crisis on steroids, uh, Kyle Bass said. They have three and a half times more banking leverage than we did going into the crisis, and they've only been at this banking thing for a couple decades. Okay, With defaults now plaguing the industry, this could spell trouble for the country's broader economy. The real estate sector makes up about a quarter, as you heard the guy say, of the country's GDP and about 70% of household wealth. Guys, this could be devastating to the Chinese. And, and who owns a lot of our debt? China. It's that, it's that trickle-down effect. The basic architecture of the Chinese economy is broken. Sounds like ours. Virtually every public or listed Chinese developer is in default, he said. Two of the biggest ever grand and Country Garden have a collective debt of more than $500 billion. In January, a Hong Kong court ordered the liquidation of Evergrande and its collapse, sparking fears of, economics, uh, of systemic risks to come. This Evergrande collapse, guys, was huge. This was equivalent of, of what happened in, in 2008. Here, it was a big collapse. Um, and we're not going to go any further on that, but you see where that's going. It is not good. Okay. 
And so you have this and it, you keep seeing, I see another article here. And what's it say here? It says the real estate, this is from February 7th, real estate crisis looming over banks. A year at, remember, just a year ago, guys, remember how much happens in a year. Just a year ago, we were talking about the train derailing in East Palestine, Ohio. Just a year ago, we were talking about the Silicon Valley bank collapse. And that seems like it was like two, three years ago. That's how this stuff works. It's year over year. And we're seeing it again. Okay, so Moody's cut New York uh, Community Bank Corp's credit rating to junk status on February 7th. Fears now rising among investors over the United States' distressed commercial real estate sector. This comes as a crucial lifeline created during last year's banking crisis is set to expire. Bank jitters are spreading. The KBW NASDAQ Regional Banking Index, a collective of mid-sized bank stocks, has fallen nearly 12% in the past week as investors worry about lenders' exposure to commercial real estate loan portfolios. Right, And what, when did, what happened with uh, commercials? The commercial loans were a problem, or commercial real estate's a problem because they shut down the country. Nobody went in to work. Okay. And then what happened? Then they open up everything and people now still don't want to go back to work. They got stuck in their um, comfy, you know, uh, work from home routines. They don't want to go back. So plunging office occupancy rates and high interest rates are a big reason. The shift in working practices after the height of the coronavirus pandemic has roiled the commercial real estate market and lenders could face a maturity wall as much as 1.5 trillion in commercial real estate loans set to come this year and next. U.S. regional banks provide a bulk of such loans, putting them at risk. So these little regional banks, okay, are the ones that take on these loans. And if these loans go under, these banks go under. Officials have acknowledged that some banks may be at risk, but have downplayed the worries of a wider crisis. They say, I believe it's manageable, although there may be some institutions that are quite stressed by this problem. The <laughs> Good old Janet Yellen uh, reassures us. Complicating matters, a funding lifeline expires in March. On March 11th, the Fed bank term funding program will stop making specially low interest loans to distressed lenders. The program was established last year amid the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank to help lenders shore up their finances on the cheap and restore the public's confidence in the wider banking system. The sinking share prices suggest that investors aren't buying that message. Okay, They're seeing through this charade. European and Asian banks are on the hook too. Shares in Japan's Azora Bank and Switzerland's Julius Baer have sunk in recent weeks uh, after both disclosed risks from souring commercial real estate loans. So this isn't just a problem in the U.S. It's going to be a global problem. Meanwhile, other European banks, including Banco Santander and Deutsche Bank, have increased their exposure to $6 trillion U.S. real estate debt market in the first half of last year, despite concerns of a tsunami of bad loans on the horizon. So something's going to happen, guys. It's inevitable. There's going to be some swizzle of this to uh, rectify the market. Now, what? Somebody much smarter than myself will have to tell you that. 
Now let's go back to the Evergrande. Okay, this was that Chinese um, real estate collapse, banking firm, real estate firm. That and let's take a look. Will it affect the U.S. economy? Now this is from Sam Jordan on TikTok. Go check him out. What is Evergrande and what is going on? Evergrande is um, the. I've been paying attention to this Evergrande thing for the last four years now. I currently work in construction and construction management for a private investor out here in Kansas City. But I've also worked in private equity from a firm out of New Jersey. And I got to tell you, the amount of money that was moving behind closed doors was astronomical. And I always wondered where that money was going. A lot of these institutions are over leveraged, they always are. And you have ties to Evergrande, the largest builder in China, BlackRock. Vanguard, the China Construction Bank, all these other small banks out here that sent their money overseas to an institution like Evergrande were completely over leveraged. And it all looked great on paper. Evergrande built buildings and they were constructing new buildings. But guess what? You can look great on paper, but if you're not filling those buildings with tenants making cash flow, you're fucked. And that is exactly what happened. And now we are seeing the ripple effect. Anybody remember? Uh... I I don't even think I did a show on it. I think I just did a YouTube video. Yeah. I know it was on my Instagram too about all the ghost cities in China, right? We saw building after building these ghost entire cities of buildings built with no one living in them. Now, they say that it's in case something happens to Beijing that they can move these people inland, but you can only have so many buildings empty for so long before somebody loses some money and, and stuff starts going under. Okay. Now, this is what we were talking about earlier too. And this is the New York Community Bank is in talks to offload some of its mortgage risk as its stock falls 65% year to date. According to Bloomberg, the bank has been reaching out to investors for a capital to finance a large portfolio of residential mortgages. Now, this is on the residential side. Third-party capital would inject liquidity into residential mortgages under its Flagstar Bank unit. The NYCB is also exploring the sale of some of its loan portfolios. Okay, so this is, the, we just saw the commercial side. Now, this is the residential market and in your community bank is struggling See, and this is up. what i'm talking about so if you go read more into this and why this is happening you have smaller regional sized banks that are literally selling off collapsing and it's commercial real estate technically but these are all under management of the same umbrella of groups and if you're following me here it all falls under the same umbrella right jp morgan chase blackrock vanguard all, all the big institutions this is what happened this is exactly why it's happening because Basel three in game. If you look into what that is, the Fed passed it right under Trump's administration. You cannot have terrible lending standards. You have to prove what you have in your reserves. And if you don't prove what you have in your reserves, this is what happens. I mean, there is excellent PR going on because half the country has no idea that this is happening. These banks are failing because they were over leveraged. They didn't have the money they said they had in the bank, which a lot of banks don't. Because can you imagine if they told you they didn't have your money in the bank? Right? That's that fractional reserve currency where they, you know, they lend out your dollar 10 times. Guys, it's, 
I'm not an economist by any means, but all signs are pointing to something bad coming down the road. And who would that benefit? I mean, if we're looking at what we talked about last episode with CBDCs, that's a perfect way for them to slide that in, reset the economy. We always hear about these resets. And this they another term I want you guys to look up, virtuous circle. A virtuous cycle. Okay, this is something they keep talking about over and over again. It's a series of events that just keeps benefiting and you know getting better as you go along. That's what this seems to be for them. Our demise and and these collapse. Someone will benefit from this. Will it be the central banks? Will they gain more power? Let's hope not. We need to decentralize our banking. We need to get away from central banks. It's the only way we get out of this nonsense that we're in. I mean, aside from just getting rid of the monkeys in charge and term limits and lobbying and all that fun stuff. But now, remember we talked about the uh, in in the Chinese article that it affected from Mayfair to Toronto. Well, here's the Toronto, where it's affecting Toronto. Let's check it out. Chinese incomes have fueled Toronto's real estate bubble. Check this out. Chinese migrants across Toronto were obtaining mortgages from HSBC while supposedly earning an extravagant salaries from remote work from China. Since 2015, 10 Toronto area HSBC branches had issued at least 500 million in home loans, even though they were exaggerated incomes or non-existent jobs from China. Here's an example, a woman who owned homes in Aurora, Markham, and Scarborough worked part-time as a hairdresser while also claiming she earned over $530,000 as a business manager job in some place in China that I can't pronounce. The whistleblower said these people don't have steady jobs or income in Canada, but what they are doing is scams to launder money. But what do you guys think? Is this a slap in the face to Canadians who work hard, pay taxes, and can't afford a home? And why isn't this making mainstream media? Let us know in the comments down below. It's an interesting one, huh? really interesting like how do they get away with that that's some crazy crazy shit you wonder if that's what's going on here because you see there are massive amounts of chinese migrants coming in through mexico there are tiktok videos that are showing people how to get through and get into the country there are hotels in mexico full of chinese migrants as a loading point and they, one of the destinations, they go from there through the mountains into the United States. So, got to wonder, is this something that's going to happen here? Now, another banking crisis we are seeing is the German banking crisis. Let's go to our man Sam one more time, and he can hit us up on this. And this right here, guys, is the final nail in the coffin for the three videos that I just posted if you go read what is going on with Evergrande, I kind of tried to sum it up real quick. So now it is spreading into the broader European and Asian markets. Um, you can feel kind of the ripple here in the US right now. If you go look at what's happening in California, even in New York, there are transactions currently happening in California. Um, commercial real estate, literally pennies, selling for pennies on the dollar. I'm talking $90 million transactions are now happening for $45 million. Um, we're talking huge commercial buildings in California. Yeah, so this is getting pretty wild. Um, I don't know what effect this is going to have on 
single family residential multifamily i don't think you know guys it's just pay attention to this shit because it's getting pretty real it is it's getting pretty real and that's what we have to understand so the the headline here is german bank braces for wave of bad loans greatest real estate crisis since the financial crisis so um if it will let me get there let's go over here let's see can we get there okay so let's go over here we have the greatest uh this is what we were talking about before deutsch oh jesus christ Fonder von brief bank or PBB, a German lender focused on real estate, has set aside more money on bad debts as it braces for what it says is the worst decline in commercial property values in 15 years. PBB increased its provisions for losses on loans in the fourth quarter of 2023, taking a total set aside for a year as much as 215 million euro or 231 million US dollars. It said, in a statement Wednesday, citing persistent weakness of the real estate markets. Despite these expenses, PBB remains profitable thanks to its financial strength, even greatest, even in the greatest real estate crisis since the financial crisis. The global financial crisis uh, peaked in 2008 as banks collapsed under the weight of huge losses on mortgages and related securities following the bursting of a bubble in the U.S. housing market. On Thursday, PB, last Thursday, PBB announced that it had enough cash and highly liquid assets on its balance sheet, a liquidity cushion, to operate for six months without new funding of investors. It said it would publish further details with its 2023 earnings in March. Okay. Fears about the health of bank balance sheets have resurfaced in recent weeks, almost a year on from the crisis that saw U.S. regional lenders collapse and the emergency of rescue of Credit Suisse. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen told lawmakers Tuesday she had concerns about exposure of some banks to commercial real estate. I believe it's manageable, although there may be some institutions that are quite stressed by the problem, as we heard her talk about in the last thing. Okay, so... You know, as you can tell, this is not good. This is going to be a global crisis. Okay. And this New York Times article says that global, China's real estate crisis hasn't even touched the bottom. And we'll take a quick look at this and then we'll move on. Um, Uh, actually, we're not going to read that one because that's another New York Times one that they want us to pay for. So we are going to back out of that. And we're going to go back to our... So what this is saying, the forced liquidation of China's Evergrande epitomizes the sector's struggles. Nationwide sales are down and millions of homes have been paid for but not delivered. So they have this major problem in China right now. Um seems like everything's upside down over there and then we get into this a top economist who predicted the 2008 uh housing crash says the commercial real estate bubble is about to burst okay this is in december 
2023. The pandemic has impacted various aspects of our life. Although many activities have returned, such as traveling and gathering, work environments have changed significantly. The traditional office buildings are mostly empty and central business districts have been adversely affected. The commercial real estate sector is still reeling from the massive shifts towards remote or hybrid work, resulting in a reluctance to retain brick-and-mortar properties when e-commerce provides more accessible alternatives. It's puzzling that while traffic to downtown business districts has more than recovered, people are still hesitant to return to offices. Okay. Now, what's interesting, though, one of the things that you're seeing from these companies nowadays is, and, and especially recently, uh, they're forcing employees back to the office. And if not, they're forcing termination. Okay, I heard, I know IBM is forcing uh, people back to the office now. One of the issues from this is obviously during the pandemic and when people got away from these brick and mortar buildings, so they were working from home. But a lot of these brick and mortar buildings closed. So now they want you to move to an area, relocate to within an area so you can visit one of their locations to go into the office a couple days a week, which is, is causing a huge... Now you wonder, why are they doing that? And, and, you know, being of the mind that I have, I'm always kind of trying to see what's going on. Well... If they force these people back to the office and these people don't accept and they don't go back in, well, they have these the holes in these jobs. Well, what I'll use IBM as an example because I've I've read a little bit on it. What what is IBM saying their plan is for the near future here? Well, they want to in implement AI for X amount of jobs. Well, what better way to bring in AI when, oh man, we just don't have enough people. All these people quit because they didn't want to come back in the office. I guess we'll have to bring an AI to do their job. And that's what we're seeing here, guys. And that's what's going to take place. This is what's scary about this domino because there's so many balls in play at once right now. And this is just one of them. And and this whole uh, work shift and, and jobs, and that's going to be a whole nother, that's a whole nother show in itself. And I'm not getting into the job side because like I said, I'm not an economist and I'm not bringing much um value in this episode from from an economic standpoint this is more just an observation of what i'm seeing and connecting these dots that you know look at all these things that are adding up it's something's going to come to a head here okay and this last article i want to just touch on real quick a wall street prophet who predicted the 2008 uh housing crash says the stock market could fall another 30% and claims recession is imminent. So let's take a look at that article really quick and see what he has to say. Okay. Uh, a so-called Wall Street prophet who predicted the 2008 housing crisis has warned the U.S. stock market could crash by another 30% as recession looms. Um he said, uh, also for, he also forecasts the Federal Reserve would succeed it uh, succeed in its war, I believe, on inflation and begin cutting interest rates again next year. Now, this was from 20, November 23. So they're saying that he thinks the Fed's going to cut rates this year. And I think they are too, just to in in you know inject a little life into the market. But 
again, it's not gonna it's not gonna make the difference they need. This is a broken system. His comments come amidst the backdrop of economic volatility, which we saw um, as the stock market experienced a dreaded death cross technical pattern, spooking investors. Remember that in November, it was not good. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to get into the specifics of this. He goes, the analysis implies the S&P could fall around 2,900 points. Shane went on to suggest the U.S. may have already entered a recession. We pro probably do have a recession coming shortly if we're not already in it. Nobody rings the bell. If you look at many of the major indicators that are reliably forerunners of recessions, when you look at the combination of things, it's pretty hard to escape a recession. He pointed to the inverted bond yield curve among the key indicators a recession is on its way. Okay, so from that standpoint, I think it's it's pretty interesting. Um, now, it is am I telling you you know to invest in this or do, no? I I'm the last person you want any of that advice from. My my own portfolio is a mess, so to speak, <laughs> or lack thereof. Um, but what's going to happen? There's something's happening here. You're seeing banks worldwide. You're seeing. Um, commercial real estate, and you're seeing domestic real estate, housing market, are all in a state of flux right now. And what's happening? Who is there to pick up the bones? In typical parasitic fashion, you have these big corporations, you have these equity firms, these people, investment companies, whatever you want to call them, that are just swooping in, buying this stuff for pennies on the dollar at times, especially in the corporate uh, commercial side. And you know, and then they're going to they're going to take that commercial real estate, they're going to turn it into apartments. Solve the the real estate crisis, the housing crisis. Force us into these smart cities. Right? Cuz what did they say? You the American dream is basically dead. And that and and to be to be honest, the American dream It's kind of bullshit. It doesn't work nowadays. Um, you know, the way that things are have changed. But, I mean, I think every person, like the people in the interview said in the 60 Minutes piece, I think everyone does. I don't think everyone. I think most, especially couples, you know, people wanting to start a family want to own their own property. There's some people who love the city life. They want to rent apartments. That's or buy apartments. That's fine. Condos, things like that. Even that market is getting out of whack, and that's what's happening. There is going to be a major crisis here. And what are we seeing in America, guys? We just talked about a shortage of four million homes, apparently, and they just leave the border open like a sieve, and we have millions of people just influxing. Is that going to make the housing crisis any better? Again, another piece to this whole thing. Do you want the government to step in here and intervene? Hell no. It's just going to make it worse. It's going to piss away more of our money. It's going to give more of our money upwards to these um, uh, investment companies. 
okay, we don't want to save these banks. Uh, you know, as much as it is, the banking system, need, we got to get off the Fe this Federal Reserve system. Until then, we are we are debt slaves. So all this other monopoly and stuff that goes on. Now, why did I bring up what I brought up in the beginning? First of all, it's current events and it's relevant to what's going on now. But it's part of the distraction. And once you see it as that, they get all of your attention looking at orange man bad, blue team good, and everything in between. Meanwhile, all of this other shit that really affects your life is going on. Because if you think you're going to vote your way out of this, you're insane. If you think by electing certain people, we're going to work our way out of that, that's not going to happen. Not with the way the system is right now. It's just, it, there. there's too powerful of controls at the helms outside of the system that are playing puppet master in the system to rig it. Okay, so they distract you with, with that. There's sending billions of dollars to Ukraine, sending billions of dollars to Israel. They want to start sending billions of dollars to Taiwan. Yet, we have a major crises at home across the board whether it's housing whether it's inflation whether it's steady jobs jobs that pay according to cost of living there's so many factors then you get into the migration right and then what are they going to distract you with oh it just so happens that we had to have we had a pew pew incident at the super bowl parade how convenient that they could start pushing some pew pew legislation so they can disarm us so we can't put up a fight and notice how the shooters faces aren't plastered all over the tv like it would have been if it was someone with a little less melanin amazing right just like the church shooter you didn't see anybody uh flashing the uh the old church shooter's face all over there when you found out it's a trans again more mental illness probably big pharma induced but we're not going to look at that problem we're going to blame the pew pews guys do you see this it's a game it's a game of distraction. And what is it? It's a game they told us last episode to force behaviors. That's what this is all about. So you have to recognize when they are trying to force a behavior and not fall for it. To stand your ground and push back. And when you see shit like this, there's not much you can do. Right? I mean... We're at their mercy, but to know that it's going on, to see what it's happening and do what you must, you know, prepare if you need to, any way you can, maybe get some of your money out of the banking system and into some alternative systems. Again, I'm not giving any financial advice here because my house is in a mess too. I'm just thinking out loud as to alternatives as to what we can do to kind of get out of the system. And that should be everyone's goal. Everyone's goal should be to get off the system as much as possible.
Is it realistic to get off 100% these days? Not realistically. You have to go through, you have to really be dedicated. But can you improve your life in small areas here and there by doing things to get off the tee to the system? Yes. Grow some of your own food. Build within your community. Right? Things like this. Start start working on a foundation around you. And if the system collapses, so be it. Right? Everybody's going to be in a shitty situation if it collapses. Put yourself in a position to succeed. Right? It's not easy. But know what's going on. You cannot walk around with your head in the sand and be ignorant to what's going on. And and what, you know, the reason why I said this is because, and again, this is going to go back to a BlackRock episode I'm working on. Um, they're just connected to everything. They were connected to DEI, right? ESG, CBDCs. They're tied in with the UN Agenda 2030. They are becoming the corporate landlords in our real estate. Right, they have a lot of people's investment, uh, retirement portfolios in their investments. They have everyone by the balls, guys. They're way more powerful than they should be, and it's not good, not good. So, with that said, anyone looking to uh, hop on board, Patreon.com/slash The Great Deception Podcast. Love to have more people over there. Um, like I said, you get all the Monday Night Master Debater videos. You got a whole slew of old books over there, um, old videos. And if there's other stuff, you let me know. I will see what I have in the archives and get it out there. But with that said, guys, I appreciate each and every one of you for giving me your time, listening, and your reviews, everything like that. If you want merch, go check out the merch store in all my links are below in the show notes. I appreciate you all. Thank you so much for listening. Everyone, stay strong and question everything. So the World Economic Forum is having their yearly summit. They were very consistent about what the biggest threat in the world is. Misinformation. What they're saying is that the biggest threat is that people are allowed to challenge the propaganda. And they're right about that. But that should be kind of encouraging to us. These guys recognize that we might win. They're saying we have this real problem of misinformation. They're saying, essentially, this is a threat to our ability to enact the plans we want to enact, that people are allowed to destroy our propaganda. Now, it's a little bit troubling because you're like, what are they going to do to crack down on it? But for the time being, we still have voices. They know that if enough people wake up, they are screwed. And so that's what we just got to keep doing. And we got to keep doing the thing that they see as the biggest threat.